Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Where in the word are you today? Where in the word are you today? I am in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Whatever else uh, you are doing today, let me invite you to be a person who recognizes and acknowledges the presence and the power, the provision, the grace, the peace of God. And let me invite you to consider asking God to search you. That's the psalmist prayer. That's my prayer today. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out, that means reveal to me, like help me see those blind spots. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. So many things today bring us offense. We are offended and outraged and angered and spewing about so many things. What if we spend a little time today inviting God to search us, to test us, to reveal to us anything in us that offends him? Might that that be an exercise worthy of the calling to which we have been called? So yesterday, uh, I encouraged you to check out photographs and videos of the field of flags that were spread across the National Mall. today. I encourage you to check out last night's memorial of light around the reflecting pool in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Um, Think of it as a huge, solemn, patriotic art installation. Actually, both of them. Think of both of these, the Field of Flags and last night's uh, memorial of light. Think of them as huge, solemn, patriotic art installations. And then consider that both of them happened under the cover of darkness. Consider the use of light piercing the darkness. Consider what we know about Jesus as the one who comes, as the light, the life. Consider what God says to us about being people who live as light in a generation of perversity and darkness. What might it look like today for you and I to so shine before others that they would see not only good works, but the God in us who is behind it all. All right, Daryl Crouch is up next. He is the pastor of the Green Hill Church. He and I have much to discuss. He's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 
sunny days that I thought would never end. Joining me now, my brother, Daryl Crouch. I don't know, Daryl, is there another Daryl and my other brother, Daryl? Do you know? Well, do you know Daryl, Daryl, and Daryl? Yeah, Carmen, that means we're very old. Um, <laughs> nobody under 35, 40 would even know what you're talking about. So they don't know who Bob Newhart is. I'm so sad for all of them today. I know. Uh, because I know, that terrible. thought, as it just passed through my mind in the moment I was introducing you, made me glad. So there you go. Yeah, great. Um, Daryl, um, first of all, welcome back. Good to talk with you. Um, let's um, let's open with a conversation about blessing, uh, because I think that there are lots of people today whose mouths are filled with cursing and curses upon other people and even upon events of the day. I would like uh, to talk with you about what it means to live in and under and through the blessing of God. Mm. Well, we could do that for a long time, but Psalm 67, 7 says, God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. And so the blessings of God, uh, the favor of God, the high regard of God, he loves us. He has shown regard for us. Um, when, when, the, when the Bible tells us that he remembers us, it doesn't simply mean that he has cognitive you know, recognition of us and knows our name, uh, like he could look it up in, a, in an encyclopedia or a phone book or whatever. He, has, he remembers us he, in the sense that he has high regard for us. He blesses us in the sense that he favors us. And, um, but his purpose in that is that all the ends of the earth would know his glory and goodness. So when he shows us favor, when he shines his face on us, when he uh, gives us out of, the, out of the abundance of his hand, he does so not simply that we may enjoy him, but that we may, may invite other people, uh, all the ends of the earth, to enjoy him, to fear him, to revere him, to uh, trust him, and uh, to worship him. And so, um, you know, we, we're simply... Um, a conduit. We're a we're a megaphone of the glory of God, and he he um, he gives us voice, and he gives us influence, and he gives us prosperity, and he gives us um, opportunities, uh, so that um, the the neighbors near and the nations far will uh, enjoy him with us. When you think about counting the blessings of God, um, I mean, we recognize that it is from. God, that every good and perfect gift comes, that every blessing flows. When, when you think about the blessings of God, um, where does that list? Because I think people are encouraged you know, to count their blessings, and sometimes we make a, a very material health and wealth list. When you count the blessings of God, what makes your list? Well, that He would He would know me, Carmen. That He would uh, regard me. That He would regard me personally so highly that he would send his only son to die in my place and for my sins and uh, to to redeem me and to rescue me, that he would, can, can you imagine this, Carmen, for a moment, that he would, he would entrust me in some measure with the third person of the Trinity, the very Holy Spirit who dwells within every believer. He has sent, he, he has, he has sent he is a missionary God. He has sent his only son, and now he sends his spirit to dwell within me. He sealed me until the day of redemption. I have, I have hope, and it's a biblical hope. It's not a cross your fingers, hope it'll work out hope. It, it's a certain hope 
that my future is secure. Uh, imagine the blessing of being in the throne room of the Most High God now and forevermore. Um, th- those, that's where I began. And certainly uh, there's physical blessings and health. And I'm so grateful that I can get out of bed in the morning. Not everyone can do that. I'm so grateful I have food to eat. Not everybody can say that. So uh, those things are important. But we begin with what he's done uh, to bring me into his eternal work and his to introduce me into his kingdom and open the doors of his throne room and give me a seat at the banquet table of the Most High God. Uh, what an incredible, rich blessing that we have. And so those blessings level the playing field, you know, in every sense that sinners are welcome uh, to come from the hedges and, and highways and, um, and, and, and sup on the, on the goodness of God that's eternal. Yeah, I'm I'm drawn to um, Paul's opening verses in his letter to the church at Ephesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Uh, I mean, that passage of Scripture goes on to you know to lay out um, some of those spiritual blessings that we might account today um, before the Lord in in deepest gratitude. Um, that indeed, I mean, we have been. We have been favored in this way. Um, when you think about the way that we then turn toward the world that God so loves, I guess I'm, you know, I guess I'm, I'm caught up a little bit, Daryl, in the reality that I see around me and recognize within myself from time to time that even though I am a person who lives with the knowledge of these extraordinary blessings of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord, uh, in fact, a person indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and yet, um, I recognize a venom, a venomous uh, approach to the world that God so loves sometimes. I see Christians, and sometimes I see myself, um, you know, as a person who does not turn toward the world in love the way Christ does. Mm. No, I think we all can empathize with you there. I, th- I think we all feel that sometimes. We, um, and there is a there is a sense of unrest in our spirit, in our soul. And I don't think that's um, totally wrong. I, I think uh, we're not built for this world. We, we know that there's a, a kingdom that has invaded this kingdom, um, and Jesus has ushered in this new kingdom. And so the, we're in this in-between time. And so I think um, unrest is a natural uh, part of that. I, I think what what we all uh, must yield ourselves to is that the spirit of the living God bears fruit in us that is distinctly, you know, just incredibly unique from uh, what unrest or anxiety or fear produces in us. And so when you read of the fruit of the spirit that Paul talks about in the, his letter to the Galatians, um, you know, that's there's something distinct about that. There, there's something otherworldly about that. And to be honest with you also, Carmen, just on a practical basis, the people who best influence me, the people that best move the needle in my life and in my heart are those who bear fruit of the spirit uh, rather than fruit of the flesh. And so uh, I'm thinking, so I have to ask myself, what kind of influence do I really want to have in the lives of people? And so um, is, is that uh, not that a, sm- a glib smile is always on my face, uh, ignoring the sufferings of people or injustices around me, but 
but is the spirit of the living God bearing fruit in my life that looks like Jesus and has a hopefulness and a, and an otherworldliness that uh, only he can produce. And so um, I think all of us feel that unrest, but daily we, we trust that uh, this, this uh, person of the Trinity, of the Holy Spirit lives in us and is working in our lives, and that there's a God in heaven who is uh, certainly uh, sovereign and in charge. Amen. All right, Dale Crouch and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I am going to ask about all of the prayers for revival that um, that I see lifted up uh, by my by my friends and by my neighbors. Lots of people praying for revival. What should we know about revival um, as we are praying for it? That conversation up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Pastor Daryl Crouch from the Green Hill Church. Daryl, let's talk about revival. Uh, I see lots and lots and lots of calls for revival. I get invitations to pray for revival. I pray for revival. Um, I think this falls into the be careful what you pray for category. What should we know um, about what revival really includes? Well, again, that's a big question, and a lot of uh, incredibly uh, godly uh, people have gone before me to, to that could answer that better. But I, I, I think one of the things that I think you see and I see right now is that many times we are saying, many times conservative uh, evangelicals, classical Christian, Christians, are saying, listen, revival means my political party wins or my political platform uh, dominates. And so I think on a day like today, we we really have to check ourselves on that. Certainly political platforms and things going on in our country are very important. And some uh, pieces of those platforms represent biblical uh, values better than others. And we all know that. But Revival is much more um, uh, personal than that, and we're not always sure we're we're ready for that. And um, I think we have to ask ourselves some major questions. I, I mean, this is a silly example, maybe, but I'm in a routine just about every morning. My routine's about the same, and it's been that way for a while, and. Um, if that's disrupted, if that's disrupted a little bit, uh, you know, I have to make myself, you know, calibrate around that and not get too disheveled. Um, we, we really don't like our routines interrupted. But revival in the heart means that things are going to change in my life and um, heart things are going to change. And so uh, I was responding to um, um uh, a tweet the other day, and 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 just so um, much appreciate Bob Roberts and a lot of other people that are talking about this in this way that I think you and I can relate to. But um, when Jesus said, for example, when he was asked, "Hey, what what's the greatest commandment?" Around that conversation, and at least as it's described in Mark, uh, Jesus doesn't always answer every question directly. You know, sometimes he answers with a parable. Sometimes he answers in kind of uh, uh, language that is unclear. But when he was asked what the greatest commandment is, he was really clear. And he said, he said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This, this idea of wholeness 
as we come to the Father. As we relate to God, there is this whole person that's included. So it's not simply an attitude of my life, although that's important, but it really is my whole life. And so revival includes my behavior, my beliefs, where my affections are placed, how I treat people and around me, how I worship. All of those things are a, a, a central part of revival. And sometimes I think we're not really broken enough to really want the revival that we're praying for. And we're really not sure we want things to be as disheveled as they have to be in order for revival to take place. And um, so that's what I was getting at. Yeah, I really, um, I deeply appreciate that. I've become um, pretty sensitive just in the last 10 days or so to to all of the myriad challenges, uh, the weight upon the shoulders of men like you, our pastors uh, across the country, my own pastor. Um, pastors are are carrying a burden and a load right now that uh, I think many, many, um, you know, what I would call regular people like me, um, do not necessarily appreciate. So um, if I could just ask you to share one hard thing you're dealing with right now as a pastor, and then um, I'm going to pray for you as a representative of every pastor uh, of every church in all the world today. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, I had a conversation uh, on Monday with um, four other pastors in our community, uh, conversations all, I mean, just weekly with pastors here in our community. And they're they're all dealing with this fracturing among evangelicals is, is the word we would you know use. These are church going people and people are we expect fracture. We, we expect fractures in the political sphere uh, over, again, uh, social issues or whatnot. Uh, but we're seeing it now that Christians, church members are canceling each other and um, over COVID response or political issues or racial issues. And so I think uh, the the call to unity around the you know around the gospel and around Jesus and that this kingdom is not of this world you know his kingdom is not of this world uh, that appeal has um, you know in in many congregations you know just not it's, it's just fallen on deaf ears and so people are so captivated by worldly philosophies from the left from the right and um, so I think <clears throat> that's what we're dealing with. Um, thankfully, I'm, I, I am blessed. Green, you know, the church I serve, Green Hill, is just wonderful, and there's a sweet and strong sense of unity. But many of my peers are not experiencing that, and so uh, we're having to respond to uh, social issues and political issues at a level that is really—I uh, hate to use the word unprecedented, but uh, really unprecedented in this generation. Well, thank you for sharing that, and um, let us pray. Father, you, um, you are the one who creates of us a body, and you are the one whose body was broken and poured out um, on our behalf. I'm, I'm reminded of your word in, in Psalm 22, where we are, we are reminded um, that you were poured out like water, all your bones out of joint, We regard Christ upon the cross and his body broken for us. 
we remember it in the Lord's Supper, and yet, Father, when we experience the fracture in the body today, broken hearts, people out of joint with one another, we're grieved. And we come to you as the great physician, acknowledging that um, we have done a poor job representing the wholeness and the unity of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to the world that you so love. And so grant your grace today, Father. Grant your grace today upon your church, the bride of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Bring us back into uh, fullness of fellowship with you, that we might indeed find fullness of fellowship one with the other as brothers and sisters in Christ Heal that which has broken us and heal that uh, against which we have broken ourselves. And Father, thank you for our pastors. Thank you for Daryl. Thank you for my pastor. Thank you for the pastors of every congregation represented by every listener um, upon whose ears this message now falls. Father, we lift up pastors of the world around and ask that you would bless them, that you would pour out every spiritual blessing that's necessary for the accomplishing of your will in and through their lives in and through the life of your church in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, my brother. Thanks, Carmen. Thank Absolutely. You. We'll talk again soon. We'll be right back. All right, a lot is going on in the world today, in the political world. The president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, um, is soon to be the former president of the United States. And the president-elect, Joe Biden, is soon to be the president of the United States. In fact, by the time we talk tomorrow, that will have happened. That page will have been turned. As people of faith, um, what does it look like for us to turn the page There's a big page turned between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. There's a big page turned uh, in uh, in John chapter 1 to chapter 2. Think about turning the page uh, in your own life from the acknowledgement of your sin to the reality of your salvation. What does it look like to turn the page? We're going to talk about turning the page with Hunter Baker from Union University. That's up next. A man struggling with terminal cancer once told me, I try not to stand too long on the mountain, and I don't sit too long in the valley. I live one day at a time and try to keep my attitude somewhere near the middle. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. In a situation that was totally out of control, this man trusted God for one day at a time. Perhaps you're in a situation where things are dark as well. It may not be cancer, but the anger, disrespect, and tension at home has worn you down. My hope is that this quick word from a cancer patient will be a reminder to you. Today, live just one day at a time. Stay near the middle and know that in the midst of the chaos at home, God is still in control. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Joining me now, Hunter Baker from Union University. Hey, welcome back, brother. Hello. Good to talk to you again, Carmen. 
I feel like I should uh, uh, I should have somebody on today whose name is Paige Turner. Ah, nice. I like that. Right. That's what but I have Hunter Baker, who I I know. I have Hunter Baker, whom I also love and adore. And so, um, let's talk about the page that is being turned today. We like to call it a transfer of power. Uh, we call it an inauguration. That really doesn't hold a ton of meaning. So let's uh, let's give uh, just offer up some of your thoughts on the transition that happens today. Maybe um, the final acts of the outgoing president and what it means for the nation um, to be inaugurating the 46th president of the United States. Well, I'm thinking that uh, that probably there is rarely a time when a Democrat is being inaugurated when a lot of Republicans are just kind of like having a sigh of relief. Uh, not because they're excited about the Democrat being inaugurated, but because they're ready for the current show to be over. Um, you know, the the celebrity apprentice and the apprentice lasted longer than the Trump administration. The Trump administration is being canceled on the schedule now. Uh, and it's unfortunately it's time. It's time for it to be done. Uh, I think that, uh, Joe Biden, it's interesting. He, uh, we have a guy who is, I guess he may be 78 by now. If he's not, he's awfully close. Uh, we have somebody who's kind of the elderly grandpa type and, uh, the nation is looking for that now that we'll, we'll see, We'll see how he governs. We'll see kind of how he gets started. But right now what we're looking for is no drama, minimum drama, adult leadership, adult maturity, and uh, as much working together between parties as possible. Yeah, the the 50-50 split in the Senate um, is is producing uh, hopefully substantive conversations. Um, we, we were hearing some about that yesterday in the news. Um, yeah, you're right. Joe Biden is 78. He he had his 78th birthday on November the 20th. So uh, just just recently turned 78. Um, when you think about uh, the pageantry that we are going to. Well, actually, if you've if people have been watching, there has been pageantry for the last couple of days. Um, the field of flags was pretty extraordinary last night's. Um, uh, event at the uh, at the reflecting pool, uh, the memorial service for the 400,000 uh, Americans who've lost their lives uh, in either directly related to COVID or COVID complications. Um, there's going to be a lot of pageantry today, but it is going to be different, not the same kinds of pageantry we've become used to. But um, talk with us. This is different than what I might think of as like a coronation. It is different than that. This is not uh, this person is not a king. He is a president. Um, and one does leave and another does take office. Talk, distinguish those for us um, so that we we don't become confused. Well, we really we really do have uh, we do really do have a government that is supposed to be limited in its power, uh, that is supposed to be accountable to the people. Uh, in fact, our founders, what they were really trying to do was to, establish a government that relies upon the consent of the people. And so uh, we have given our consent through our electoral process, obviously not some kind of unanimous consent, which is impossible in a government of millions of people. But we have given our consent. And uh, now Joe Biden has four years uh, to try to implement a program and to to govern. 
so yes, obviously very different from installing a king, although it's interesting. <clears throat> I don't know if people are aware of this, but our founders were big readers of the classics, uh, referring to sort of the the material from the Greco-Roman world. And uh, one of the ideas that Cicero had, and I think our government explicitly adopted this, was that they would try to mix the different kinds of regimes in one government. So our presidency is like a monarch, our Senate is like an aristocracy, and our House is like a democracy. And the idea was was that if you could mix those different forms together, they might prove to be more stable uh, than any of them by themselves. And of course, the 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 reality is is that we have the longest running uh, governing agreement uh, in our constitution in the world, even though we have a relatively young country. So the fact that we don't study the classics anymore and the fact that we don't even understand necessarily, uh, you know, with with much quick clarity, um, even how uh, a monarchy, an aristocracy or a democracy might function um, or how they might look in history when one of those dominates the others. Um, I mean, part of the challenge I think we face as a people is how paltry our classical education now is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the one of the things that I really do appreciate is the extent to which classical education has grown in the U.S. Uh, probably over the past, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, I'm hoping that will increase. Yeah, I would fan the flame of that. I'm a big fan of classical education. All right. Um, let's uh, let's touch briefly on um, some of the things that we anticipate uh, in the next um, you know, it, well, in the coming days, let's just talk briefly about Biden's opening agenda, recognizing as you're listening that we are going to till much of this soil over the course of time um, in the next hundred days. But give us a give us an overview, Hunter. Uh, well, I think the I think probably there are three major areas, uh, maybe four. Um, but the the first and the biggest is covid. Uh, I think a lot of us, I think a lot of us were thinking that when we heard about a vaccine that we would be out of all this pretty soon, uh, starting to look like that's not the case, um, largely because uh, we have not made as much progress administering the vaccine as probably a lot of us thought would occur. Uh, so I think that the first thing that Joe Biden has to do is to figure out how to speed the uh, the administration of the vaccine to as many people as possible. Uh, that will help us to uh, to get traveling again, to to be eating in restaurants together again, to be uh, living as much of a normal life as we possibly can. I think that will that will help us with all kinds of things, including the political environment, uh, if we could establish some more normalcy. Uh, the other thing is, is that he's going to be focused on, you know, yet another sort of round of stimulus uh, with regard to the economy. Um, and, you know, obviously he'll have to get that through the Senate, but I think he will be able to um, because all the Democrats will be on board with that, uh, including Joe Manchin, the man in the middle. And um, and if you know obviously needs to, he can get Kamala Harris to break that tie. So they'll do that. They'll want to send out another round of checks. Um, I have to say that I really wish that they would, instead of just kind of sending out blanket checks, I 
I really wish that they would do something more targeted. I mean, there, there are a lot of us out here who have not missed a paycheck during this thing, uh, whose lives have gone on fairly in a fairly normal fashion in terms of our economic well-being. And to me, I think it would make a lot more sense to target relief to people who have suffered uh, economically. But nevertheless, that's what they're doing, and that's what they'll probably continue to do. And the other thing will be environmental. Uh, I consider that to be largely symbolic, not because I think that the environment is unimportant, but because I, first of all, my suspicion is, is that COVID has probably radically improved emissions. Uh, I, I cannot imagine the, we don't talk about it much, but the environmental effect of COVID, this is kind of perverse, but it's probably been pretty good. <laughs> it's pro- prevented a lot of travel, a lot of cars, you know, things like that. Uh, but so we'll rejoin the the Paris Agreement, things of that nature. But I th- I think that the world, generally speaking, it's certainly the 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 f- sort of the first world, the most developed world, is probably making tremendous progress on emissions just by virtue of technology. Yeah, and then um, we would talk about international concerns and issues, which we highlighted some yesterday. If you missed my conversation with Luke Moon, go back and grab that podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Hunter Baker and I will continue this conversation in just a moment. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Hunter Baker from Union University, we're talking about the turning of the page between the Trump and the Biden administrations, which is happening today. Uh, the person who, by the end of the day, will be the president of the United States has uh, has committed himself to a number of immediate actions, some of those in relationship to um, people who are in the United States who are not citizens uh, and creating a pathway of citizenship for the 11 million people um, who are here in in the U.S. I imagine, Hunter, that um, uh, that Joe Biden's agenda related to um, those 11 million individuals, as well as the flow of humanity that is headed toward the southern border right now, um, is going to be a very pressing concern. Um, it was certainly raised yesterday uh, when Biden's nominee for DHS uh, was before the Senate. Um, circling back to uh, to your highlighting of the stimulus that we could expect, uh, stimulating the economy, uh, Janet Yellen's uh, testimony or or Q and A or what do they call that when they a person is tested before the Senate? Yeah, the the hearing, <laughs> Senate hearing with Janet Yellen. Um, uh, she talked about some of that as well. So I think you're um, I think you're right on track um, in terms of the things that we could expect from a President Biden. Uh, it seems to me he's getting a lot of pressure from the left to move way left, and he's getting pressure from both the right and maybe the center to govern from uh, a more centrist, uh, you know, a more centrist way of thinking. Talk with us about how we would recognize either one. How would we recognize if he's governing from the center or if he's if he's responding to pressure from the left? Well, there are a couple of things. Um there's going to be pressure from the left to do some things economically. Uh, uh, so, for instance, I'm almost positive that you will have some of the some of the reduction in the corporate tax rate will be reversed. I think, uh, even though I actually think that was probably one of the best things in Trump's policy. 
Uh, I think that uh, probably the tax on uh, people who, who earn more money, you know, kind of in the top brackets, I think that's going to be increased. Uh, I think you'll probably see a $15 an hour minimum wage mandate passed. Uh, now, all of those things, I wouldn't call that from the radical left. I think those are things that will be done, but that will please the left. Um, also, there's obviously there's a lot of pressure from the left to uh, kind of force various people to bend the knee when it comes to human sexuality type stuff. Uh, obviously, one of one of Biden's appointees is a uh, transgender woman, um, I think, in the health in health and human services. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I think that there's going to be a lot of pressure for Christian nonprofits, uh, so you know, Christian schools, Christian colleges, uh, things of that nature. And I will really be kind of judging Joe Biden by the degree to which he gives into that kind of pressure, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if he gives into that kind of pressure to sort of force Christians out of the nonprofit sector, uh, puts pressure on things like tax exempt status, stuff like that. That those will be sort of the marks of a of a more radical administration. So we'll have to wait and see if that happens. I'm guessing, I'm guessing no, uh, but we'll see. I mean, somebody like Joe Manchin um, in in uh, West Virginia would oppose something like that, even though he's a Democrat, I think. Uh, but there are probably some Republicans who who might go along with that. You know, Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, maybe. Yeah, the appointment of uh, Xavier Becerra from California does not bode well for the future of the tax-exempt status of convictional Christians and their organizations and institutions. Um, well, I mean, well has, and, and yeah. you have to understand – you have to understand that – and I, people get frustrated if you point this out. But the fact is, is that the Democratic Party's greatest core conviction – and I, there are many, many ways to demonstrate this – has to do with uh, being pro-choice on abortion. That's just a reality. I, I, I know it rankles people if I say that, but time and again, they have demonstrated that is like the most unshakable conviction in the whole party. Uh, and Xavier Becerra is basically like appointing Planned Parenthood's choice to that position. That's what's happened. Yeah, and the statements by um, the new head of Planned Parenthood related to her enthusiasm for the incoming Biden administration um, is bears that out. It certainly bears that right. out. So, um, if you um, if you were thinking to yourself that uh, you were going to go to the March for Life, which now is not happening as an in person event in Washington D.C., let me encourage you to consider redirecting um, what you would have spent traveling to D.C., what you would have spent um, staying there, what you would have spent eating there. Um, and direct all of that giving to your local crisis uh, pregnancy center. They are going to need funding, um, and those gifts are now still tax-exempt. And so let me just encourage you to consider redirecting the kind of money you would have spent supporting the March for Life as an in-person attendee and support life uh, and and life-affirming ministries right where you are. Uh, crisis pregnancy centers across the country are in desperate need of funding, and so that's a way for you to um, to put to put real feet uh, onto onto your convictions. Hey Hunter, um, as always, thank you so much for joining us, bringing your perspective to bear on the uh, on the headlines of the day. Thank you, I appreciate it, Carmen. Absolutely.
We'll be right back. All right, one of the ministries that uh, we broadcast here on the Faith Radio Network is Revive Our Hearts. Um, and Nancy Lee DeMoss Walgamuth is the host of Revive Our Hearts. Um, she has a post today about our job. Our job. So, what is our job as Christians in the culture today? What is our job today? Um, and I just liked this phrase Our job is not to curse the darkness, our job is to turn on the light. And so um, you hear me talking about sowing peace and tilling the soil of the cultural conversations of the day. You hear me talking about cultivating the mind of Christ, um, talking about uh, if you don't like the harvest of unrighteousness in the world around us, then it's time for us to uh, to reseed with the word of God and to cultivate a harvest of righteousness to the glory of God. The way Nancy Lee is talking about it today, our job is not to curse the darkness. Our job is to turn on the light. So what does it look like for you and I to turn on the light today? To turn on the light of the gospel? To turn on the light of Christ? To turn on uh, the light of an aha moment for another person? What does it mean for us to turn on the light? What does it look like for us to speak a blessing over someone else today instead of cursing? What does it look like for us uh, not just to recognize that the darkness is dark, but that the light has come and shines and will never be overcome. People are hurting. Families are fractured. Cities are on, are on edge. Nurses and teachers are exhausted. Moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and neighbors and coaches and youth ministers and pastors and church elders, everyone, all of us, were fatigued. Many are on the very edge of what I would call collapse. Let us bear the kind of fruit, the kind of witness today that would lead them to turn to Jesus. That when people come to the end of themselves and the end of their own political plans, Jesus would be found waiting for them. Let's turn to him. Let's turn the page to Jesus today. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.